started getting calls from people like asking me questions like yourself. I always said no, but for some reason you came across nicer, I guess. And maybe I was like, oh, this guy's cool. And then now we chat all the time, obviously. Welcome to The Original Doll. I'm your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. We go behind the scenes and learn all about these amazing artists and creatives who bring the music that we love. And at the same time, we help out charity. For more information, go to the website, theoriginaldoll.com. While you're there, join my Patreon community. Big shout out to my Patreon patrons. You all rock. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, the.original.doll, and rate the show and tell your friends about it. My name is James Rodriguez. This is The Original Doll Iconography. When I Say So, for Britney Spears' third studio project, Britney. And it was written by today's guest producer, Joshua Schwartz, who many of you have come to know as the guy from the Christmas song, the Britney album, and In the Zone. On today's episode, we talk all about this song and the empowerment of the song, as well as we treat you with a little bit of information about a Britney unreleased song that has not been mentioned on the internet. You know, like it's, I just shut it all down. I guess when I left the music industry, I just wanted to forget everything. You know, and I started getting calls from people like asking me questions like yourself. I always said no, but for some reason you came across nicer, I guess. And maybe I was like, oh, this guy's cool. And then now we chat all the time, obviously. <laughs> I know. Which I'm fine. Your humor matches my humor, which is amazing. <laughs> I think we're like the same kind of dude, man. At the end of the day, it's been insane because a lot of producers have been coming back saying, hey, I can further expand now that her dad's not in the picture. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not held to anything. I don't really give a sh. You know me, man. Uh, I, I never met the dad. Never a problem for me. Well, and that was the funny thing because a lot of people were asking, they're like, oh, you know, these people that worked on Oops or Baby or like, they don't have stories with the dad. And I responded back. I go, because he wasn't around. He was not around no. at the time. It was mom. I met Miss Lynn a million times and Felicia, who was in the documentary, was the, just always taking care of Brittany, everything she needed. And she was a doll, man. She was the greatest. Back in contact, I had her best friend. They were like best friends. I never saw a relationship like that. That felt like that was well, mom was a doll, by the way. Mom was always sweet to us. Like and, and then Jamie. I met a few times, like maybe like two or three times, but Brian, her brother was always a very nice guy too. Um, he came to our studio a few times. He was a little bit older. I think he was the oldest Spears and it was her, then it was Jamie. I think it was just the three of them from what I remember, yeah. but I, I could be wrong. Um, I never met her father. I never met her father, only her mom, who was a beautiful woman too, by the way. Um, really pretty, you know, the apple didn't fall far. Southern woman, you know. She, she and, and even they, they were showing I mean, the paparazzi still hounding everything happening with Britney. Like they're showing uh, Lynn Spears keeps trying to go to Britney's house and they have photos. of. Listen, I got the same situation for me. My mother tried to rip me off when I was 25, stole my identity. I, I don't mind sharing that. And uh, that's my, I haven't seen my mother in 21 years. I, I know what Britney's going through. Somebody you know, somebody I mean, had it's... mentioned mentioned because in one of the episodes you talked about, like your parents, basically you were kind of on like your mom, like dealing with mental health issues. Yeah, I'm an only child. My father died. And when my father died, I realized what my parents were doing once he died. They were they were unable to hide it. He was assuming my identity. And I realized what was going on. I was able to bail and I was able to just 
I'm an only child. So I was like, it's this or nothing. I have no money. You know, I've got nothing. Uh, I don't have college. So it's like write or die. That's really what happened. That's the only reason I think, and I needed that. I think I needed that. And, and uh, now I have to be dad of the year every year because I have to be there for every second of my kids. I'm a psycho with that stuff. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with that, but that's a whole nother story, but I don't mind sharing that at all because um, there are people out there who fall victim and then they just, they, they play or they, they spend the rest of their life. Uh, this happened to me. I'm like, well, it happened, but you, you still can, you, you can break the, 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 the cycle, you know? Uh, and that's the thing. It's like from, from everything that you had, you can break it. I don't want to say the easy route, but the easy route would be to go, you know what? Nothing. I'm done. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to do anything where you're just like, I'll just be the victim to. Right. That's not me, man. I had no choice. Dude, you like, we're working with Britney Spears at the height of Britney Spears. Do you know what? Like that? It was at the exact same time. I was getting, um, I was going through uh, a lot of legal battles with my mother at the same time that I was doing that first Britney record. And my dad died a week before that album came out. So he died like October of 20, 2020, 2001. And then the album came out like November 1st or something like that, or like a, a Halloween-ish, November 6th, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. of 2001. So it happened like three weeks prior. So that was when the shit really hit the fan. So the worst bottom absolute bottom of my personal life happened at the height of my career like it was so freaking odd the way that happened that album was the biggest achievement i've ever done i had like half the album and it was britney spears and here i am like i'm an idiot from new jersey you know whatever <laughs> i'm not special i'm not gonna sit here and toot my own world. oh we, were, we just knew it's gonna be <laughs> i don't know anything nobody knows anything this this is luck i'm a <laughs> moron so here's the thing at the bottom of my yeah everything hit the fan i had no idea what was going on i found out my parents stole my identity like two weeks later the biggest record of my career so i guess it's i don't know i don't i don't know how to make sense of any of it but from that point on i was like i just got to keep pushing and, and and then and then the backstreet thing happened a year prior but then after that britney came back to us but we didn't we didn't do as much on that fourth album uh, it would have been cool but yeah i mean literally from a personal standpoint the worst time of my life was during the height of my career so let's talk about like the the britney era the third era so you had already worked on her her evergreen her christmas which by the way this year went uh platinum in the uk i believe it was and then it should be up for some certifications coming up within the next eight months uh, because they started slowly going back through Britney's archives and like they just now updated crazy. And it's like, that was on her oh, first wow. album. So it's like, yeah, I think a long time ago. Yeah. And I think that the demand is there for people to recognize it because Britney Spears, no matter what the certifications were almost 95% of them were based on the sales within the first three months of that album coming out. So like the Britney album, wasn't certified hasn't been certified in over 20 years so it's stuff like that in certain countries wow. and the thing is we know that she she still gets streamed the toxic song helps the in the zone album altogether with sea and tea mm -hmm. so let's talk about the, the the britney album some of those tracks that didn't make it bring me home was one of them what are some other songs yeah. that you remember working on and like that vibe because i know we're going to talk about the in the zone with like um you know Oof. thought about that erasure <laughs> which i love erasure by the way that erasure vibe. We had uh, a third album. I know we worked with BT. 
we did two songs that, but I think, oh God, I don't even remember. Um, when I Say So is one of the songs. When I Say So and then the one, the one about Justin. Before the Goodbye. Uh, missing you. Before the Goodbye. Yeah, that was the other one. Those, <laughs> that was recorded and put on, on one of the uh, European releases or something like that. Uh, what else was on that? We, we, we were in um, LA a lot. So she was filming Crossroads at the time. All my kids care about from that time period is that I met Zoe Saldana. That's all they care about. Because they're, they're Marvel. I was like, they're Marvel fans. It's Gamora. <laughs> you met with Gamora? Enormous Marvel fans. And like, was she green? I'm like, no, she wasn't green at the time. She's green now, I guess, over time. Uh, she's still hot green. I mean, go figure. Love her, but love her. she was not green. She was a kid then. She was 20. She was a little bit younger than us. And I remember she was tall taller well i'm a jew i'm five what am i five feet tall like, they make us like smurfs for christ's sake god's like here just make them small but annoying but like but but gamora yeah whatever her name was zoe yeah her and then that taryn manning chick was always hanging around she was there because she was in that movie too and i don't remember the dude he was some dude handsome mount um that sounds familiar i don't see him doing much anymore um so we we went down to the set a few times to talk to Brittany and to play songs for the uh the director and the producer and Larry was always there. And then like John McHugh was the in charge of everything. So I remember the executives that were in charge, we'd just go down there and we'd play stuff. Um, so I run away was the other. Yeah. I think we talked about some of this, right? Yeah, we um, talked about, cause the songs that you worked on that were put on albums was my only wish this year, intimidated, lonely, anticipating. That's where you take me. You talked about how was Craig David influenced. Definitely. Yeah, sure. It was. Let me be before the goodbye. I run away right now. Taste the victory. When I say so, brave new girl, don't hang up. Bring me home. Okay. That's a long string of songs. Yeah. Don't hang up. Is Uh, is there any more? And then for in the zone was like new religion, which you had talked about kind of like the beginning of an idea. That was cool. I remember that one. I looked, I remember looking, it's probably on a tape. I just had somebody reach out to me on Instagram and ask me for the the instrumental to don't hang up, which I, I definitely don't have. I, I don't know where any of this stuff is, man. I can't give anything out. Yeah. I can't give out anything that's been released like without it. Yeah, I have to be careful. Hopping out quickly, I wanted to address something. Many of the songwriters and producers have talked about how people reach out to them and say, oh, can you send me this? I'm not going to share it. Or they say, I am Larry Rudolph from LarryRudolph001 at gmail.com. I'm an entertainment lawyer, blah, blah, blah. And they ask these songwriters and producers for their material saying oh you know when you were working with britney the other day can you send me those tracks and early on many people would send these out because they assumed i mean why would anyone lie and pretend that they're somebody that they're not and what would happen is uh, a handful of these people would get access to these songs and then sell them profit the money themselves so that's something that has come across and up, I should say, in many of these interviews where people are like, yeah, somebody either hacked my account, somebody uh, pretended to be this person. And like Josh just said, somebody was reaching out, you know, about don't hang up an instrumental. And it's just interesting because you look to see who's the first person to put this online? Who's that person? You know, and chances are, those are the people that are most likely hacking or bought it from a hacker. And what I've learned in this whole time of creating the Original Doll podcast is leaks don't necessarily help an artist. You look at songs that leak before a release date. They don't help. The amount of times, let's say, like Blackout was downloaded 
uh, illegally before the album came out. Uh, in an upcoming episode, we actually break this down. The album was downloaded illegally over 6 million times, and people are like, oh, I just like hearing it, then I'll buy it. First week sales come out, 290,000 copies sold. So not everyone downloading these songs illegally are supporting the artists themselves. And we all love promoting Britney Spears and other artists to say, oh, they have sold this many. The other thing is we did a study recently looking at a lot of people said they wouldn't stream Britney music or buy Britney music until, you know, she was free of her conservatorship. Well, she's free of her conservatorship, and we've been watching all streaming platforms, and there has been no notable increase in any Britney Spears streaming. So whether it's the millions of people saying, I'm going to stream as soon as she's free, that's not the case, and the numbers don't lie with that. Uh, so the thing is, if you want to help an artist, you know, don't leak their stuff, don't illegally acquire their information, don't sell it uh, to keep the profit yourself. A couple of the songwriters are like, hey, you could have at least sent me some money if you sell it for thousands of dollars. Um, but we talk about all this stuff coming up in a big major episode with a bunch of key players in uh, pop music. So let's just head on back to the episode. And remember, don't ask people for things that aren't yours. <laughs> all right, here we go. Back to the show. There's been so many people asking like, oh, what other songs are... Because I think people are now going back and I think looking back at the Britney album and the fact that you're on like half of that album and those are most of her songwriting credits on that album they were with you all yeah i think that that speaks highly to the fans of britney's music where and i always separate i go people can be fans of britney the persona and fans of britney the music they could be like we don't like her persona whatever but they can appreciate and respect her music perfect um, right that's art subjective so when you're working like when you worked with rodney and you worked with bt how did you how did you still keep the you and Brian energy when now you have another party coming in? Well, we're, we're good collaborators. I think we know when to, uh, you know, sort of push or sort of sit back, you know, because I think you go to BT because you want BT. So we figured we're just going to put sprinkles on that versus say, you're just going to get what, what Brittany and K&S sound like if it's just three of us. So we just kind of let BT do his thing because BT is BT's pretty brilliant guy. Um, and I remember that session and he was really cool. Like it was just when someone's cool, it just makes the whole thing. And he was fucking cool. So I just remember we all were just vibing and like, he was just open to ideas and you just don't expect a guy that's that brilliant and that famous for a specific thing to you just figure he's going to do his thing and be like fuck you guys just you know hey you're here whatever but he wasn't like that at all he was like really really cool and open and psyched up and we were all just like this guy was like we thought we had a lot of energy and bt made us look in the sleep you know like he was there's a reason he is who he is you know so that was a fun session and i've always was like when i say so the song like uh didn't make the the album but what I love is that he's mm. he was known for that stutter that <laughs> that chop up yeah. sound. He did that on on pop because of Insync. He did the pop thing, and they played that for us, and we were like, "Holy shit, who programmed that!" 
they said, do you guys want to write with him? And Brittany was like, yeah. And it's like, why don't you guys go with Brittany and this way? Cause Brittany felt more comfortable if we were there. So we did it too. That was why. Cause you know, we were her, like we, her, you know, she was, she was able to kind of get her ideas out through us. And so, she, she, you know, her musical ideas. Well, and so the song, when I say so, that's all about like, she's like, Hey, we can do this thing when I say so. It's kind of like that whole, I don't want to say like the consent thing, but ultimately, hey, you want to do something? We can do it when I say so. And I remember in a previous interview with you is that you talked about the fact that like, we would never write something that that artist wouldn't naturally sing. Like you wouldn't force Britney to sing when I say so, unless that was right. Britney's, to your point, her vibe, her essence. Right. So when when I say so comes in and you get to work with BT, was that before or simultaneously with Before the Goodbye? I think it was all the same day. Dang. I think we were there two days. <laughs> you guys are like... I think it was all the same. Yeah, I mean, if you have idea, I, I want to say it was one or two days. We were in LA. It was all at the same time. I don't remember going back. I remember BT insisting we go and get this specific coffee drink so we all get fired up. And I, I remember getting it and being like, holy shit, what the hell was that? So we were all like fucking caffeined up like on crack. And uh, I guess that's how he gets his, you know, we went to the coffee bean out in LA. And um, that's all I remember, man. Like, we just wrote and wrote and wrote. But I think, yeah, we probably spent a day or two together. I I can't remember if it was two days. It might have just been one. And we probably wrote both the same day. I would think we wrote, I think, anticipating, oh, anticipating lonely. That's where you take me is written in New York. Anticipating and lonely and let me be were all written in the same, like, two or three days in L.A. I remember that all while she was in LA filming Crossroads. And then I remember, let me be, let me be, no, I'm sorry. It actually take me being written in New York. I remember where I was. We were in the battery for that one. Uh, all the others, I can't remember. I run away was, I think just Brian and I, I don't think we wrote that with her. I think that was just us. And I think we wrote that in like, in our studio. Uh, we were reading the script. And it's, uh, and that's the, that's the cool part. I think a lot of people were messaging me saying, this is so cool that like, you know, because everyone's like, I cannot believe he's not seeing Crossroads. I can't, and I go, but remember what he said? You were like, I was there for the filming. of <laughs> Like I was involved that you saw what yeah. you needed to see. And how many times did you go through that script? Because that's where a lot of the inspiration, the characters, uh, I run away being about the Kim Cattrall yeah. mom character. Um, yeah. And it's, it's. I never saw it. I'll watch it one of these days, I guess. I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't even, I'll just grab it. Maybe it's. I think it's, it's difficult because people forget that that was like Jive's movie, that it wasn't an MTV, like it wasn't a Universal Studios backed thing. Um, No, Clive paid for it. He paid for the movie. He didn't even use outside financing like most movies. He paid for it and then sold it later, you know. So he was able to control everything. I was just looking at, there are notes that I have from the different Britney interviews. And she talked about going back in and recording the pre-course for Before the Goodbye on July 20th, 2001. This is how specific it is because Britney had to go to fly to a Madonna concert, opening night of the Madonna concert the next night. So okay. in one of the interviews, it was like, I just, I, I recorded part of this in enough time to catch the flight to go see opening night of the show the next day. So that Madonna's opening night, that's something that you can find out when opening night was. Um, Right. But it's also crazy to think that it was, she, I think it was like the week before she was recording 
I'm not a girl, not yet a woman, which would have been when you were there because you told the story about how yeah. <laughs> she was hiding from these people. Like, you do a great yeah. Britney voice, by the way. <laughs> if I have to say she ran out of the studio and she was like, y'all, I got to get away from them. Like, it was, uh, they had her do it like 80 times. So she was getting frustrated and she was like, she came in our studio and then Max came in after looking for her. Do you know where Britney is? You know, we were like, I think she's running from you, bro. <laughs> she just got burnt out from singing. I used to think, you know, she just like lost it. That was the end of it. She was just like hiding. I can't do it anymore. It's, I think they were running out of tracks on Pro Tools, according to Max. And, and uh, it was Max. It might have been Rami. Rami. Or it might have been. I don't know who. It was probably Rami at the time. He doesn't work with him anymore. Um, at least I don't, I don't really follow it anymore. But Rami was a nice guy. I just remember Max being a really like totally unassuming. Like this is like this mega godlike Svengali Zeus of songwriting. And uh, I walked in the room and I had no idea who the hell he was. I was like, oh, you're Max. What's up, dude? It's like, wow. Holy shit. Like, I'm a huge Max fan. I think he's brilliant. But um, I, I had no idea who he was. I hadn't met him yet. So that was the first time I met him when he came in looking for her. And that was, I mean. It seemed like a nice guy. Well, and that was the thing. Like, from 99 through, like, 2001, he wasn't really, you, you. the internet wasn't working the way it is now where you can see photos of all these producers and everyone right away. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Everyone right. is, like, when they see Max Martin, they're like, is he a rock star? I'm like, former member of a rock band like the long hair and things like that um, yeah i don't know what band he was in either i have no idea if his band was a success or not i don't know what band he was in i just know he's when it comes to writing pop songs there's nobody better on the earth so how do you deal with so let's say the song is done before it gets to mastering or anything like that does steve lunt come in let's say or the anr come in and say okay yeah this is what we need a little more of oh yeah steve was steve steve was very involved yes yeah steve would be like do this do that do this cut this change that and then we'd mix it once we mix it steve would be there brian would be there i'd be there and we mix it after it's mixed we print and then steve took it to mastering do you we usually didn't go to mastering do you remember which song was like kind of the hey this is smooth like butter all the way through and which one was more of the problem child of the tracks that you've done? It was there one where you're like, we kept trying things and going back. Cause I know with like uh Cardi Guardi coming in, it was like the course, like trying to figure out a prequel, like trying to figure out Brave New Girl was Brave New Girl felt like it took forever because it was just we we just didn't have a chorus. You know, it felt good up to the coming out tonight. And then we nobody knew it just kept falling apart. Brittany, Brian, me, all of us, we were all like, I I can't, I got nothing. Kara saved the day on that. Um, it came in with that really cool chorus. Going to step outside on copyright. And then um, <clears throat> I think Brian ran it through a processor of some kind. I can't remember what, what he ran it through. I don't know if it was, was auto-tune. At the time, auto-tune was still new. Uh, it was still a plug-in. It wasn't used like it is now. You can't even sing without it now. Um, that song was a problem. Uh, don't Hang Up was tough, too. I remember we, came up, we finally came up with that chorus. Uh, but like, like lonely was easy. I remember lonely just was flowed, anticipating just sort of flowed. Uh, let me be just kind of flowed. Some of those songs, I, I don't remember being a problem, but I remember even the Christmas song flowed when Brian and I just wrote that though. I don't think Brittany was involved, but, uh, when we produced it, that was a disaster. We had a lot of problems technically at the studio. It was our first time meeting her. And we were all just like, oh my God, like it was just a, a technical disaster. The computer crashed. She had to go. 
so we brought Jen in to beef up the vocals the same day. Like, like Brittany left, got on a plane and flew somewhere. And then Jen came in and then she was happened to be in LA at the time. I know she lived in the village at the time, but she flew to LA when 9-11 happened. I think she was in LA. Oh no, I'm sorry. This was in 2000. That was in 2000. But I think Jen, in two, but we used her a lot. She, she ended up in LA, but I know she was in LA when 9-11 happened. She lived right around the Twin Towers too. I know I remember her living downtown, not far from there. Um, that was a different song, but around that time she happened to be in LA. We're like, great. Can you get to the studio? We're going to, we'll just pay in. We'll, we need you on this. And so we had her and then Audrey Martel. So we got back to New York. Uh, and then we, we mixed it with, uh, Stephen George mixed that song, I believe. No, Mike Tucker. I'm sorry. Mike Tucker mixed the Christmas song. And I had to think about that. And a lot of, uh, listeners were totally in awe when you were talking about like the original songs were sadder than you'd think and they're like we're not doing like oh that's don't song. leave me open or what broken heart yeah it was yeah the song was written differently it was really uh the original vocal that i did and then i think we had jen demo it after so britney can learn it uh but the original lyric steve lunt uh was like yeah you gotta you gotta rewrite that that that's terrible uh, you know, it's too sad. I don't think he put it like as terrible, but Steve would. He would say that to me. Um, but he was like, yeah, it's, it's sad. It can't be sad. It's got to be a little more young, a little cooler. I was like, yeah, you're probably right. So we, we went back and rewrote it to my only wish. I don't know where that came from. And then it worked. And he was like, perfect. Love it. And, uh, you know, I, I think we just submitted it. And uh, we were just hoping, like, they came to us and asked us to write something for her. We were just like, oh, God. Oh, please. Cause it was our first call with her like you know so we were just hoping to get it that was because that opened all the doors to that britney album without that she you know she liked us from the christmas song you know she liked working with us so she was like yeah I'll. and then she wanted to write so larry rudolph set it up <laughs> along with steve Lyon. you know let her she really wants to try writing let her let her try it they didn't feel like they thought we would be good because we're we're soft we don't come in like Yo, do this, do that, do this. This is the beat, sing this. We're not, that's not who Brian and I were. We were like, what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? We're a little more like, like I said, we're like Howard Stern. We come into a session like Howard Stern. What are you, what are you going through? You know, what, and we would pull stories. We'd listen to the, we'd always listen to them talk and we'd pull ideas out of what they were saying because it's personal to them. Especially somebody new to writing, you have to write, make it a little personal for them to feel it and really because Brittany didn't really write she didn't have experience writing so we thought the first couple songs would have been duds <clears throat> you know just getting them off but they weren't they were lonely anticipating let me be or they were all those songs the first couple songs she's ever written so um it didn't go bad you know we, that's all and what i what i loved what i loved is that the influence that you know i've never talked to brian but like you can tell your influence from oh. michael jackson prince janet that these songs i always say fit so well on any of the jackson family's playlists you know let me be could easily go on to any whether it's control or velvet rope you know don't hang up can easily go with like that's the way that goes on a playlist where you just kind of go i like the vibe that this is going um and that's what i kind of like and i think that Britney has always shined in the more dancey things, but also I think she's she's more of the grittier sound. 
like let me be lonely where it's kind of in your face and jumping out there and then can do this carnival anticipating escapade over you know what I mean like over the top where I think what I like is that the songs you didn't create with Britney weren't carbon copies of everything you did with Britney and sometimes I feel like some producers have a sound and they just keep repeating that sound and I'm not I'm not saying who those people are. I think no, you're right. Years. And that's why uh, it's, <clears throat> I think that's why Brian and I's career lasted 20 years or close to it uh, together because we didn't do that. You know, you could have a sound. We didn't have a lot of hits. I mean, we had a couple of hits, but like we did a lot with Britney. We did oh, Gaga, whatever, or the singles, unfortunately. But once you have a sound, it's kind of like you do it and then everybody calls you for that. And then it's over in like a year. You know, it's like over. You know, people get so sick of it, whether it's Red One or Stargate or any of those guys they're great and they do their thing but then it's like the sound is it becomes a sound and unless you could change it max is the only one i've seen that has actually grown and changed it and still stays current and even the neptunes i don't really hear much from anymore i know pharrell still does stuff uh but i mean pharrell's you know obviously amazing but the neptunes every song is the same the same thing over and over is that same beat same sounds uh <clears throat> you know, but that's, you're going to do that. If people are calling you, give us that, give us that beat, give us the Noriega beat, give us what you did for Britney, give us Slave. And a lot of times the artists would get offended and that's why I don't work with them again because they would give that sound away, you know, which I can understand, but I can also understand from the producer. It's like, dude, they're throwing 50,000 at me for the track. What do you want? Like, this is my sound. So I, I get it. I was, you know, I remember when I did Aaron, I was, there was no other kid like Aaron, but I remember Jive was like, listen, that's Aaron's sound. Don't go running around if you want to work on any more Aaron. Don't go running around with that sound. We were like, yeah, that's cool. We'll stick to Aaron. He's, you know, you better stick with the number one kid who's doing it anyway, you know, than the next one in line, you know. So we weren't supposed to, you're not supposed to run around, you know. That, that just, that's just the music business. You get a sound, it hits, and you run away with it and do a bunch of shit like that thing was and then you disappear fair it seems like that's the pattern yeah do you was there that's the pattern was there a point where i mean you're having success by getting all these placements with britney was there a moment where they were like hey we think this could be the new britney what else do you have like it was there ever that where they're like work with this person or is it at that point we don't want the producers Britney worked with if we want the competing Britney. Do you know what I mean? Like, because at the time it was very, the media loves pitting women um, against women, but they also, the record label likes to make money. So if something works, let's keep trying to right. make it work. <clears throat> I don't think there's anyone like Britney. At the time, Britney was signed. Uh, Jessica Simpson was signed. Mandy Moore was signed. Um, those were the other two blondes in New York that I can recall. Jessica was from Texas and Mandy was from Florida. I don't remember. Florida. That makes sense. Uh, I remember we went in there and said, we're working with Brittany now. And they were like, we don't want Brittany. We want Mandy. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I get it. Like that's what A&Rs are supposed to say, even though it's going to sound just like fucking Brittany, you know? <laughs> and the Jessica Simpson, totally different story. They just went ballad because she actually had some pipes at the time. And then now, then she made another record later and it was just, she couldn't really sing at all. It was weird because I want to love you forever. It sounded like she could actually sing which was her first single. Um, so they went a little bit differently, but that, that was, oh, and then Christina, of course, was, was signed at the same time and they weren't going for that either. So it was like those four girls, I feel like were that crop of 1999, right? It yep. was like Mandy, 
Jessica and then Christina and then Brittany. I can't remember. I think it came out like all 2000. All of them kind of came out at the same time because I remember the, the lists I would get from our publisher that would say, here's who, who's looking. And it would be like them. It would be like those four uh, who's looking list, whatever they called it. And then it would be like, uh, there was a couple others, Samantha Mumba or uh, from other countries, Play, you know, Secrets. Remember Play uh, at Sony, all all under Tommy at the time before he was ousted. And then they brought someone else in. That's a whole nother story. I didn't really know the Sony system. I was in the Jive system, so I didn't really... We did some business with Sony, but not like not like a shitload of business. Most of the shit we did was through Universal or Jive. And that to me is that to me is you the know. cool part about this about you know Clive Calder keeping everything in house. And yeah, he did. One of the first episodes I ever did, I talked about. There's the song Soda Pop from Britney's first album that was Eric Foster White. Oh, yeah. And when Britney was signed, Jive was like, "We do at the time what they called like urban R and B." you know, we have Aliyah, we have R. Kelly, you know, these other people. And Eric Foster White was the only quote unquote pop writer. So they, they say, Hey, figure this out. And then halfway through, they're like, okay, this guy, Max Martin, he wrote the song for TLC. It's not going to work. Robin passed. Brittany, let's have you cut, you know, and at the time hit me baby one more time. Now just baby one more time. But I love the fact that everyone within that, that machine knew each other where nowadays most some songwriters are like I knew of the producer but only because a track was sent to me and I wrote like what they call top line now and there's no yeah synergy or you know no you're not you're not writing a song I mean it's just just yeah I the top line thing always bothered us uh whenever we heard that phrase we're like that is so annoying like it just cheapens what it is that we grew up on and what we want to be and what we do and the brill building stuff like these people you collaborating and you write a song i don't know i never i never liked that whole thing get me some tracks get me some tracks yo like i hate that i don't know i i hate that whole thing if we're gonna write you get together with the person and then you write like that's what we felt worked the best for us uh we did sometimes if we wrote a song to a track and we didn't like the song we'd be like oh the track's bad though all right so we'll send the track out give the track to our publisher and go here, you can send these out. If something comes back, hey, cool. Very rarely did that ever happen where something great came back. Um, Most of the time it was achieved by being in the room with the writer or the artist or another producer and, um, and doing what we do, you know, creating from the beginning, from the ground up. We'll have more with Josh Schwartz as we talk about a couple of Britney Spears demos and unreleased that haven't been released yet. So be sure to look for that on the episode New Religion. Uh, And what I wanted to do was hop out because I think something that I don't want people to miss out on is the song When I Say So, if you really look at the lyrics, now this was 20 years ago, you, you look at the lyrics or listen to the lyrics, Britney Spears, we can say now, talking about consent and things like that, in the lyrics she says, you know, there's nothing serious going on. Ain't no reason to rush in. Nothing starts till I say go. I don't want to tease you. I don't want to mislead you. You'll get some when I say so. And so the whole thing is, she's talking about saying, hey, maybe it's a one night stand. Maybe it's not whatever it is. I just want to let you know, you'll get some when I'm ready to give you some. Uh, and for me, it was a very different type of song. 
And in doing my research and communicating with people at the, the labels at the time, one of the most interesting things was, and we talked about this during the Femme Fatale era, is there were a lot of songs that people really liked that went over well, but the content, the content was what people had issues with. Um, and so a song like this, talking about, you know, female empowerment, saying, no, I know me, I'm not trying to mislead you. No, when when I'm ready, you'll know it. I'll tell you. At the time, a lot of the content and, and the information I've been privy to is they, the label, the, the machine of Jive, really wanted to play the damsel in distress, where it was like, you know, like I said, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman, uh, before the goodbye, when I found you. This was one of those songs, and even with the the first track from the Britney album, I'm a slave for you. Britney saying, you know, oh, I'm, you know, ultimately I'm a slave for you, to the music, to things like that. This song is completely different um, content-wise. It talks about saying, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to do this, but when I'm ready to. You know, and she even says, she's like, I might be down for relationships, got to do me right to make me want to flip. I just want it when I want it. Nothing serious going on. No reason to rush in. Nothing starts till I say go. So this song really puts Britney Spears in that power position. And later on, uh, from the original Doll era through the Femme Fatale era, a lot of the songwriters and producers have talked about at that point, there was a switch. We don't want Britney Spears to seem too vulnerable. We don't want her to seem like she's in need of help. But before this, it was the opposite. Like, she wanted to be that damsel in distress. You know, the kind of innocent, not-so-innocent thing. But I wanted to bring that up. The other thing that I find is very classic Britney Spears lyrics, and for those who know Britney Spears' music, is there's a whole stanza where she says, You feeling me, my jeans, my baby tea? She mentions baby tees a lot during songs from 2001 to 2004. Uh, really, the descriptors of what she's actually wearing. I think that's funny. But what I really liked is this song is like, hey, there's not going to be any blurred lines kind of thing. You're going to know where you stand because I'm going to tell you when it's ready to go further. And she might not be ready to go further, but she's going to let you know that. Um, so I just wanted to pop that out because I think... The song, I really like this song, and I think people oftentimes overlook the lyrical content for pop music. And I think what's interesting is if you listen to the lyrics, you'll hear, you know, what Britney is saying, that empowerment of self. And there's been a lot of discussions and, you know, articles put out there, uh, studies put out there about, you know, is Britney Spears good or bad for women? That's all up to, to however you see her. But in this song specifically, I think it's one of the, the songs that she's had that I can go to and say, she's taking that power. You know, it's, it's about her saying, yes, we'll do this, but when I'm ready. And thank you so much for joining me again. I truly appreciate all the support. Don't forget you can join my community on Patreon, theoriginaldoll.com, and be sure to rate the show and tell your friends about it. My name is James Rodriguez. This is The Original Doll Iconography. I'll see you on the flip side.